You are now about to witness the strength of Raider Nation. What's up, Raider Nation? Guess who's back? Yeah, I know y'all missed me. What, no one missed me? Whatever. I've been away for a while, but rest assured, I'm not really going anywhere. Had some technical difficulties, and now I'm back. Rest assured, I don't plan on going anywhere. Um, like I said, I just had some things to take care of. and I love doing this podcast, but sometimes real life interferes and you got things to take care of. But I'm back, we're here, and we got a lot to talk about. This is the New Era Nation podcast, a Raiders Nation podcast about everything Raiders and some things a little bit about the NFL. And we have just completed week 11 in the NFL schedule. Welcome, everybody. And as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. Uh, any listener support, any kind of support's appreciated. You guys listening, giving feedback, that's great. I really appreciate it. You, you beat me to the punch, Sheriff. How you doing? It's good to have you back. Yeah, it, it's a fantastic, lovely three-game winning streak on the verge of making the playoffs morning, Sheriff. Thanks for asking. It's a real nice time to be a Raider fan right now. Yeah, it's a real nice time to be a Raider fan, period. The entire nation never wavered. I mean, we've watched this team break our hearts year after year. But for the nation that's stuck behind them, you deserve, you deserve this glorious masterpiece that is beginning to unfold. Uh, never mind what that noise was. I don't know what it was, and I don't have time to go back and edit it. Now, masterpiece might be a little strong, but this is definitely a sexy beast the Raiders are putting out there on the field. And it is a beautiful beast, majestic in its power, admired for its willpower, never giving up on any game. Fighting till the end. All right, enough of that. Let's get to this three-game winning streak the Raiders on. Where where I come back after three wins, and where do I find these Raiders at? Well, before, prior to the three-game winning streak, where were they sitting at? Three and four. Then they went on a nice three-game winning streak. And in week 11, three games later, they're at six and four on the cusp of the playoffs. Did I mention their last three games have been on a three-game winning streak? A very real chance to be a playoff participant this year. Year two of the second John Gruden era and year one of the Mayock era. And there's been a little trend these past three games with um, things not always working, but the offense finding a way and the defense finding a way in the end to get the stop they need to win the game. And that's really the sign of a good well-coached team the ability to even you're not playing at your best even if they shut down your best weapons you still grind out you still find a way to be productive and get the desired results which is the victory and let's realize what this is Raider Nation let's really realize what this is and just take a step back and really appreciate it six and four on the verge of the playoffs no matter what happens going forward this team has exceeded expectations and has made Raider Nation proud and has shown the world, stick it up your ass, you're fucking wrong, you don't know shit about this team. Ha <laughs> ha! I love that. 
I love seeing all these fools apologize. And at least they are apologizing, but I'm happy to see it. Because guess who knew it all along? Yeah, that's right. I'm right. Man, I'm tired of being right. No, nah, but honestly, um, couldn't be more proud of this team. They've, the things we've, I've talked about and thought would happen are happening. And this team is showing what it's about. And what are they about? They're about being a well-coached team that's going to execute and play harder than you, probably. They're going to outplay you, out-hustle you, out-strength you, out-muscle you. And just when you think you got them pinned down, they rise up one more time to get the victory. And you might say, hey, man, you're getting a little bit too high off this little tiny bit of success. And you're right. But I'm excited. And this is just the beginning. This is the turnaround. This is where it starts. And we've talked about this on past pods. It's happening this year. It started happening a few games ago where you could see this team is different, where you could see this team is growing and it's going to be a real problem. And honestly, the schedule in in front of the Raiders with six games to go, five of those winnable games, very winnable games, and even the game against the Chiefs, who knows? We might get them this year. We always have that optimism and hope. And we might look stupid on Sunday, but... And I might be a little too high off these wins, but I think we got a good chance of beating the Chiefs. We're built to beat them. The physical run game that we can just drag out for 10 plays, 12 plays, 10 minutes, and and just drain them. But let's not get it confused here. Um, Start of the season, the Raiders have these teams they're facing that they're supposed to beat. Do you realize where we're at at this point in the season? These teams that we're supposed to beat at the beginning of the year were teams that we were ranked lower than. There were teams that were allegedly on our level, if not a little better. And honestly, those teams, some of those teams, have a little more talent than us. So what does that say? We're, expectations now are that we'd beat these teams and get in the playoffs. We have no more talent than these bottom-feeding teams. What we do have is great coaching and a desire to win, a desire to get better. These guys love football, and the results are going to show that. So now here we are, 10 games in, and it's gone from the narrative of Raiders are just like these other teams to the Raiders should beat these teams. But make no mistake, it's the will of the guys and the coaching staff. Really appreciate this. Give these guys a hand for what they've done so far. This year is a success, no matter what happens from here on out. And if we don't make the playoffs being this close, yeah, it's a little disappointing. But just remember that you weren't supposed to be in this position to begin with and be happy that the Raiders at least gave us this opportunity. And for those of you who, you know, were saying bring Colin Kaepernick in and get rid of Derek Carr, we forgive you. We forgive you. But we don't forget. I will never forget. I will never forget one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. But we forgive you. And I told you all season long, I believed in Derek Carr. And if, at this point, if you can't see that Derek Carr is a franchise quarterback and one of the best quarterbacks in this league, then you're an idiot. So let's get down to business. Let's look at these three games. Um, the past three games, three wins, a three-game win streak. Let's look at these three games starting with the one just recently played, the Cincinnati Bengals. Did I say Bengals? Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals. 
Yes, they beat the Cincinnati Bengals 17 to 10, which some could look at and say um, uninspired performance, lackluster. Maybe, sure, but the Bengals and the Raiders did come out a little flat offensively and defensively. The Lions were just came out flat, and the Bengals came out inspired, ready to win, uh, especially Joe Mixon, who had a lot of family in the crowd. So he put on a very inspired performance in the beginning. It took the Raiders a while to get to corral the run game of the Bengals. And it's very frustrating seeing the Bengals run all over them when I know they could shut these guys down. And it's been a, a trend I don't like seeing for the past three games. This run defense has been giving up over 100 yards. Or the past two games, way over 100 yards, big time. And... I predicted, I'd hoped that they would be able to sustain that run defense. And I'm still in the belief that it's just a little slip up. And they know it, the coaches know it, and they're going to get back on track with it. So the Bengals got a ton of rushing yards in the first half and jumped out to a 7 nothing lead. Eventually the Raiders would regain control, tie it at 7, and then take a 14-7 lead. Some uncharacteristic things with this team so far... The flat play of the lines, which they rebounded and turned around in the second half, or in the second quarter, actually. And the rare, so far, the rare turnover, fumble. The first fumble of the year for Josh Jacobs. It was a costly one at the 10-yard line, ready, you know, on a, on a drive that the Raiders would probably score a touchdown on. Fumbled, nothing. Um, Derek Carr threw an interception, which he hasn't thrown in quite a while. And that was just a great play by Jesse Bates, the safety. But even as the Bengals came out inspired, and Zach, uh, I think Zach Taylor is the head coach. First-year head coach. He's not doing a bad job. Yeah, and yeah, I know. The team is 0-10 now. Not a win on the season. But they play hard. They're still playing. They're still trying. They still think they got a shot to win games. In other words, they haven't given up on their coach. They're still playing for him. But the bottom line is, record-wise, this is the worst team in the NFL. And the Raiders beat them by seven. Had to stop a last drive with an interception uh, to, to, kill, to secure the victory in that game. And they came out flat. They're human. I mean, there's no perfect team. No team comes out and plays 100% to their potential. Perfect games every game. There's no 16-0 and there's no undefeated, well, there's one undefeated team. But, uh, you know, out of 100 years, there's one undefeated, one team that made it through the entire season undefeated in 100 years. It's literally a 1% chance to go undefeated. So it just doesn't really happen. And there's going to be a lot of times, a lot of games, where guys come out flat. They're not robots, they're human. And they'll come out flat. But how, how you react to that? And how you handle that is what shows what kind of team we have, the character of the team we have. And through all adversity, all adversity, these guys keep bouncing back, coming back stronger. And that is such a great sign. And it is a reason for an accelerated development this year. They have 100% belief in their coach. They love him. They run through a wall for him. They love playing for him. And he's getting the absolute most out of these guys. And from the coaching staff, it's top-notch. I've said this before. 
they are getting taught they're learning great lessons from great teachers and applying it on the football field in their first year and it's showing these guys are going to continue to grow and get better the future is going to be amazing for the Raiders and the present isn't looking too bad either in line right on the cusp like I said of the playoffs and a good shot of getting in I'm getting off track here back to the Bengals um Zach and the boys he runs that 11 personnel three wide receiver one tight end one running back exclusively I think 90% of the time at least they're in that formation this is what he learned from his mentor his head coach previous Sean McVay who burst onto the scene with this philosophy and this formation and has been very successful the past two years not so much this year and Zach Taylor has taken his own version of that offense with him to Cincinnati and the disturbing trend in the past couple of games is the amount of rushing yards the Raiders have been giving up against the Bengals 173 173 I think that's the most all season to any team and when you get 47 yards from your quarterback and the Raiders in this day gave up huge runs that they haven't been giving up um, big 30 yard run to Joe Mixon an 18 yarder to Giovanni Bernard that's 48 plus 47 what are we at 95 yeah 95 that's 95 of those yards just on that kind of stuff so a little slippage there I mean you're looking at the last place team in the league and you let them rush for 173 on you and their defensive line was blowing up the offensive line early in the game so definitely Raiders coming out flat and the Bengals playing some inspired ball don't sleep on the Bengals I know they just got crushed by the Ravens Cincinnati but earlier in the year they barely beat the Bengals by six points and the Bengals have been playing a lot of teams tough this year even though they've been on the losing end of every single one of those games uh, next game Old Man Rivers and the Chargers um, I got a lot of things wrong on this game um, fantasy predictions and all that and throw that out the window I got the spread right and the Raiders win right but uh, the fantasy was way off on that. Um, but that's not the important thing. The Raiders had a tough game. And under, you know, I had underestimated the Chargers and their run game and their defense, especially their run defense. But against the Raiders, they came to play and they gave them all they could handle. That defense was taking it to the Raiders most of the game, especially early. And another game where things ain't going great. You had to fight some adversity. Uh, but in this game, you couldn't ask for a better start to a game. This is the game Eric Harris had two interceptions on the first two drives, was responsible for 10 points. They can only get a field goal on the first one, so Eric Harris said, fuck it. You know what? I'll take this one to the house, and we'll get the touchdown that way. Up 10 nothing. But then the Raiders would lose that lead as the Chargers would gain a little momentum and take the lead at 14 to 10. That usually is a crushing sign for past Oakland Raider teams. Usually that's a crusher. The teams, in this case, the Chargers, weather the storm. They've seen it many times. Philip Rivers has seen it many times through his life. Um, they might have a little hot start, but you just weather the storm, catch up, wait for them to make mistakes, and get the victory. So I guarantee you, at 14 to 10, Philip Rivers already thought, and the Chargers, and that coach, Anthony Lynn, 
I, they thought they had the game won at 14 to 10. They thought they were in the driver's seat at that point once they took the lead. Only to have the Raiders respond on the very next drive, take it down the field to take the lead back, and go into halftime with a 17-14 lead. And man, was I wrong about Melvin Gordon. That guy's not overrated. Uh, going against the Raiders, I'm reminded that he is a big, fast, powerful back. When he takes big, long strides, covers a lot of ground. And he's a great back. He's a great back. And I can see why they compare him and Todd Gurley so much. These guys are, ident- you know, they're the same type of runner. Big, fast, strong, powerful runners. They can catch the ball out of the backfield and are athletic. But at this point, it looks like Melvin Gordon is the better between the two because Todd Gurley's got arthritis in his knees. And for Todd Gurley, there's a timer counting down on his career. Um, he's not long for the NFL world. And, and the Todd Gurley that everyone knew and loved is gone. That man no longer exists. He might exist in little tiny spurts, maybe a game with a few plays here and there. But the Todd Gurley of old is no more. Anyway, the Raiders and Chargers would continue to battle it out. Tough game in the second half. The Chargers again would take the lead at 24-20 with about four minutes left. And at this point, you could really see it in the Chargers' faces and body language. Phillip Rivers, Anthony Lynn, they thought they had it wrapped up once again. Well, they surprised us. The Raiders surprised us a little bit and fought back a little bit more. But we got the lead. They're done now. We just got to wait for the defense to get panic-stricken Derek Carr in some situations and get the ball back and run the clock out. But this isn't panic-stricken Derek Carr, and this isn't the Raiders of the past. Derek Carr would lead the comeback drive to take the lead, and, and the Raiders would get the victory. But lost in that was a surprising, very surprising performance from the defense, who I had made fun of on the previous pod. And... uh Man, who saw that coming? I'll tell you who. Nobody. Nobody saw that coming. And if you tell me you did, you're a liar. Five sacks, three interceptions, one pick six. And it was a great day for the defense. On the pass side of the ball. On the pass side of the ball. It was a horrible day on the run side of the ball. And the run defense has been dominating for most of the year. And these past two games, starting with the Chargers, started to show some chinks in the armor. The run defense. And man, if we could just get a game where both phases are working excellently, then we we'll, then we got something. But although they gave up a ton of rushing yards, they held Phillip Rivers to 207 yards and two touchdowns with three interceptions attached to it. Not bad. And never mind the fact that they almost gave up as many rushing yards as Phillip Rivers' passing yards. On all the praise for this defense's great performance against the Chargers, in which they gave up 24 points and 150 rushing yards. When the week before versus the Lions, they gave up the same exact amount of points and were getting destroyed by everyone, including me. And I was ripping the defense. I was, you know, taking shots at Clellan Farrell. Funny shots, not, not nothing mean, just funny. But, hey, then they come out and perform. So, you know, thank you guys. You know, I know you're listening. Uh, I know I'm inspiring you guys, and I'm I'm happy. I'm proud to be doing that, but we got to pick it up, okay? I mean, it's obvious my criticism is what pushed them over the edge, right? 
right? No? Okay. But hey, if I if I talk, you know, bad about the the one side of the ball like a defense or, or a player like Clellan Farrell, and they go out and ball out and perform fantastic, and I look like a fool, I'll do that every week if I have to. I don't mind looking like a fool if this team's performing well. But the past three weeks, the rushing yards started to go up as the passing yards have gone down. You need to find more balance in, in what the what they're doing there on defense. But you can't argue with the results. I mean, all three games, the Raiders had the Raiders defense had to hold. And starting with that fourth and goal at the one play was fantastic. Then the next week ending the Chargers get you know, the Chargers chances at winning by picking Phillip Rivers. And last week and in the Bengals' chances at winning by picking Finley. And the players on this team, the youngsters, I mean, what, Max Crosby, Cleland Farrell, they're starting to, they're, they're coming into their own, and this is what I'd hoped. I predicted earlier at the beginning of the season when the Raiders drafted Cleland Farrell that he would get four sacks. He would get more than four sacks. He'd get that easily. You know, in comparison to the great Khalil Max rookie season, he only got four. And I said, Cleo Mack will easily get four. Easy is like six or seven. And right now, he is at three and a half. So let's go ahead and get another three and a half and finish it strong. Meanwhile, Max Crosby is the first rookie since Greg Townsend to have three sacks uh, in the fourth quarter, which is incredible. Greg Townsend had a fantastic career as a defensive end for the, Oakland, for the Los Angeles Raiders. Excuse me. This is a guy I grew up watching um, the first defensive end designated super pass rusher of many. Uh, first it was Greg Townsend. Then came Anthony Smith, and Anthony Smith was a beast when he came out. Um, then Lance Johnstone was in there, I believe. And Pat Swilling. And then Derek Burgess was the last of these successful double-digit sack artist at the end position for the Raiders for a while until Khalil Mack came along. So here we are in the first draft, Mayock's first draft, and we got two quality edge rushers. I'm very excited about that. And also excited the team adding a guy like DJ Swearinger, who I don't understand why he doesn't have a job, but from all I can tell, he is physical, fast, he loves football, and uh, he plays hard, and I just don't understand why he wasn't signed till now. And also adding Deion Jordan, who provided a tremendous amount of inside pressure all game long. Even got himself a sack in his first game as a Raider. Nice job. Oh, and I can't forget about our old boy, Eric Harris. Man, what, what a story he is. He has been the Raiders' savior and playmaker this year. I mean, who does he think he is? He's wearing number 25, but he's playing like number 24. This guy thinks he's Charles Woodson or something all of a sudden. And he's playing like that. It's true. We haven't had a playmaker in the defensive backfield since Woodson. No one making plays like this. Interceptions, return for touchdowns. And Eric Harris was on the team last year. He didn't get a whole lot of playing time. He started getting playing time towards the end of last year. And then this year he wasn't a starter until the injury to Jonathan Abram. 
And that's the thing. This is a blessing in disguise that, you know, not many people are thinking about. We got Jonathan Abram on IR. Our, one of our first round picks, he looked like a beast in game one. Sitting there in his wrapping, you know, his packaging, ready to be open next year, which is fine. So whatever the Raiders draft next year, you will be adding a top quality first round pick safety to whatever they draft next year. It's very nice. But the point with Eric Harris is, Jonathan Abram didn't get injured. Well, first, Jonathan Abram got injured, and for some reason, they gave Curtis Riley the shot over Eric Harris. But once they gave Eric Harris a shot, the defense settled down, the secondary settled down, and this guy started making plays. And this never would have happened if the unfortunate accident to Jonathan Abram didn't happen. But we know how much the team and all of Raider Nation loves Jonathan Abram. This guy looks like he's going to be a great player. And he's a first-round pick. Mayock and Gruden love him. When he comes back, he's going to get his shot. His spot will be waiting for him. It'll be his to lose when he gets back. A guy like Eric Harris, he never would have gotten a shot. Jonathan Abram's out there. Eric Harris isn't. And he never sees the field like he has this year. And we don't get to see the incredible player that Eric Harris is becoming. And probably would have gone the offseason and with not much to care in the world letting that guy go. So it's nice when my fucking phone doesn't ring in the middle of my goddamn podcast. But it's also nice to, to see him develop and have that chance to see him develop. With an injury uh, to our number one starting safety, but a silver lining with that. And Eric Harris's past 12 games where he's gotten the playing time. In his past 12 games, he has five interceptions and two return for touchdowns. And also, a special shout-out to Tahir Whitehead. This guy's playing like every down. He doesn't always make the play, but, man, is he trying his ass off. And he does make quite a few plays, um, still makes quite a few plays. And also, this week, the Raiders will be looking forward to the addition of Preston Brown. Um, he gets a shitload of tackles and is a great coverage linebacker. Uh, he's coming from the Bengals, who he just defeated. And I think this coaching staff, once again, like they have with past players, will get the most out of this guy. Don't underestimate this coaching staff. And this goes into another part where I'm saying appreciate it, Nation. Because if the Raiders continue to have success like this year, like they're doing, well, everyone's going to want an answer as to why. And they're going to look to the coaching staff. They're going to start poaching these coaches. And I think Paul Gunther's a great defensive coordinator, but I'm not worried about him leaving until he gets the pieces in place to where he can put the defense on the field that he wants at all times. Um, then we don't have to worry about it. But once he gets those pieces, I believe he will feel the top 10 defense, top five defense, I mean, one of the top defenses in the league. And at that point, he's going to get poached for a head coaching job somewhere. And yeah, I said it. I think Paul Gunther's a great defensive coordinator. Uh, a lot of people want to hang him, get him out of there. Probably the same people that want Kaepernick as quarterback. But yeah, the issues of the defense, you can't blame Paul Gunther for that. This guy's an organized guy. His philosophy is every defensive player knows what every other position on the field is doing, which just makes sense. And the run defense earlier this year, not the past two games, but for the most for most part this year, has been on a level we haven't seen in a long, long time. Something I've always wanted and paid attention to. Can you stop the run game? 
and they were doing that fantastically for most of this season so far. Paul Gunther, his coaching blood, you know, his his coaching experience is also extraordinary. He's worked under Zimmer. He's helped him with the double-A gap, bringing new concepts to it. But also, Gunther worked on the offensive side of the football. So that's a whole nother angle that he's bringing to his defensive coaching. And why do I think he's going to be great or is great? Is a good damn defensive coordinator. I look no further than Robert Sala. Sala, Robert Sala, whatever his name is. Uh, the defensive coordinator of the 49ers. He... Right now, they got one of the top defenses in the league, and everyone's praising Robert Sala as a great defensive coordinator. Previous to this year, for three years, his team ranked in the bottom bottom 10 of the NFL in points and yards. All of a sudden, this year, they're exploding on the scene. They're, they're devastating the defense. And why is that? Well, there's some talent on that defense. When you got five first-round defensive linemen first round picks on that defensive line you better be able to do something with it and in most in this case and in most cases about two or three pieces away from being an elite defense and that's what happened with the Niners this year they got the pieces they needed Nick Bosa off the edge providing a tremendous boost to the pass rush and Quan Quan Alexander who does everything including getting injured every season for big chunks of time. He covers receivers. He's great in the run game. And those two pieces added to that defense really, really threw it over the top. And now Robert Sala is considered one of the best D coordinators, probably in line for a head coaching job soon. And this is all that Paul Gunther is lacking. Another year or two of great draft picks. And this guy's going to put a defense on the field equal to his ability as a defensive coordinator. I just want to say something about Philip Rivers. You know, last week, old man Rivers, he had the three interceptions and only passed for 207. And I thought, wow, Raiders finally got this guy. And only lo and behold, this week against the Chiefs, he uh, throws, he one-ups it and throws four interceptions. But he also did throw for over 400 yards, so. There is that. But the funny thing is, the truly funny troll job thing is, is that people are not blaming Philip Rivers' downfall, his, his decline on his age. No. Never mind that he's like 45 years old. Never mind he's been playing in the league like 30 years. I'm just kidding. But in the NFL, he's considered, you know, last legs... I compare it to much like uh, in horse racing when a horse, you know, falls on the track and is euthanized right there on the track. That's what I feel has happened to Philip Rivers' career on Monday night was the final nail in the coffin as his career was shot to death right there on the field. And it's because Philip Rivers is like 50 years old. I mean, you see the guy... You see his pocket movement? It's uh, somewhere in between um, sloth-like and non-existent. When Rivers tries to move or run in the pocket, he looks like a 90-year-old man at a retirement home getting out of his wheelchair. But you know what? 
let's not blame Philip Rivers' decline on age. No, that that has nothing to do with it. I go on social media and I find the real reason. And bravo, this is grade A trolling. This is top notch. This is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. But they're saying Philip Rivers is playing so bad because he has nine kids. Yeah, Philip Rivers' nine children is the reason he can't play football anymore. Traveling from San Diego to Los Angeles with a Winnebago full of kids is apparently taking its toll on him and destroying his football life. That's right, people. Just blame it on the children. Blame it on his kids. And speaking of kids, I got to see Eric Harris's beautiful children and family. Um, my girlfriend was quote-unquote watching the game, and she calls me over to rewind something. I'm like, oh, she must have saw a great play. I went, let's, see, let's check this out, see what she's got. She wants me, I go up there, and she has me rewind it. Um, to the interview, she wasn't even watching the game. She's watching the interviews after she went and wanted back to the interview she just saw with Eric Harris and oh, his beautiful wife and beautiful children. Oh, isn't it so sweet? And it really is. Yes, babe, they're beautiful. Aren't his kids so precious? And God, look how beautiful they are. Yes, babe. He, honestly, yeah, he's got some beautiful children. And that's what I love about my girl. She keeps me grounded to the other side of things. It's not just about football. We love these guys. Raider Nation, we love our players. And it's good to get to see their families and, and know them as people, you know, in, in a little way, whatever little way we can. And uh, it was nice to see his beautiful family, his beautiful wife. And I'm really happy for him that he never has to worry about providing for them again. And thank you for your play, Eric Harris, along with, Basically the whole team, I want to thank, for what they've given the nation this year. A present, something not expected. The gift of hope. Hope for now, hope for the future. And here they are at 6-4, and four, in the number 7 spot, at the edge, very edge. First up, if one of these two wild cards fail. First in, Oakland Raiders. The Raiders would have already been in the number six position, the last wild card spot right now, if it weren't for the Houston Texans losing and the Colts winning, thus pushing the Colts into the division lead and the Texans down into the wild card spot. Uh, if the Texans had continued to win and the Colts, had, who have the same record as us, you know, they would have been booted out. It would have been Texans and division leaders. And us with the same record as the Colts. But since we beat them, we're in. So, now the Colts are in first place and the Texans are the wild card at 6-4. and four. But, these two teams are playing each other this coming week, as a matter of fact. And, we'll know those results by Thursday, even before Sunday gets here. After Thursday, the Raiders will be in the number 6 spot in the playoffs. And, no matter who wins... The Raiders will also win. Texans or Colts lose. Either one, and one of them is going to lose. Then they lose their spot. And the Raiders are officially in the sixth final wildcard spot for the playoffs. And have to take care of business versus the Jets on Sunday. 
to also maintain that. So that couldn't come at a more perfect time, the Colts-Texans matchup. And also keeping an eye on the Steelers, of course. But also don't sleep on the Titans. Um, you know, nipping at the heels. And if they're one game back when we play them, we continue on this path. And the Titans are one game black when we play them. And they defeat the Raiders. Then they will take the wild card spot away from them. But a lot of teams to watch. Like I said, playoff watch now. We are on playoff watch, nation. We're going to pay attention to what the Steelers, Colts, Texans are doing. Three out of the four AFC West. These guys are a pain in the ass. Steelers, Colts, Texans, and uh, that other one. The uh, the Titans. It's so annoying. I'm missing Marcus Mariota as their quarterback because I, I hope he's a quarterback when we play. The Titans. So much for those two. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, these young buck quarterbacks taking over the league, huh? For years, they talked about these guys. Oh, they just need another year, another year, another year. They're still developing youngsters. They're still top-notch young quarterbacks. Why? When? When did they ever prove anything? Not a damn thing. And now they're getting the recognition that they deserve. No longer in the youth demographic of the NFL. They are now in the washed-up, about-to-give-up-on-you, first-round pick quarterback bust demographic. And I can't say that you guys deserved any of the credit you got. You both suck. You suck, you jackass. So anyway, we have playoff watch. And we also have Bears meltdown watch, which is one of my favorite things. I mean, you have Mitchell Trubisky over there who... And I, I can't be the only one that sees this. When this guy smiles, he looks like a 90-year-old man with his dentures out. He looks like an old man with no teeth. And a coach, Matt Nagy. I mean, this guy has douchebag written all over him. And everyone knows this. Everyone's thinking it. They don't even they don't want to say it. They're, everyone's thinking it. They, you know, imagine you walk into a job and they point you to Matt Nagy and say, Hey, that guy's your boss. You're working for him. Well, you're already dreading life. You're going to be wish, Well, I'm not going to be here very, you know, this is probably my last day. I'm not working for that fucking douchebag. And the Bears, another annoying franchise with annoying-ass fans. But you know, at the beginning of this year, Mitch Trubisky was a favorite to win the MVP. Mitchell Trubisky. And you know why? Because a bunch of Bears fans went into casinos and put bets on Mitch Trubisky to win the MVP. You must be joking. How stupid does that look now? How dumb are you guys? Jesus. So Bears Meltdown Watch continues as we hope for a top 10 pick. And all you Bears fans who piled on when the trade happened, talked all that shit, thought you were going to the Super Bowl this year, who bet on Mitch Trubisky to be the MVP. How's it taste right now, Bears fans? Come get a taste. How do you like that? How do you like that? And nice job on Halloween, Khalil Mack putting a sign and hiring a guard to say you are not giving out candy on Halloween. Very classy. The number of Khalil Mack costumes in the Chicago area just went down tremendously. So we move on to week 12 and another great week to look forward to Raider Nation. Um, going to New York, playing the Jets, this is a big game. 
Huge game. Every game from here on out is a huge game. And this is no guarantee. The East Coast flight, the 10 a.m. dreaded start time, which I'm not really worried about. Gruden will have these guys prepared no matter what. In midnight, if they're playing at midnight, he'll have these guys prepared to play. But got to handle business versus the Jets. And, and here's one thing I want to touch on is we have six games left. Six games left, and they're all winnable games. But they're also all losable games, right? Um, on the schedule remaining, we have the Titans and the Jaguars, both formidable teams. Don't underestimate the Titans. Don't underestimate the Jaguars either. By the time we play them, Nick Foles could be rolling and that defense could be re-energized. Uh, three games versus division rivals. Never a guarantee. Never, never a guaranteed victory there. And the one game versus the Jets coming up this week. Uh, who have won two in a row. And Don- Sam Darnold is starting to look like a good quarterback back there. And they do have a good defense. So... Must be careful, must stay focused, which I'm not worried about this team doing. But hey, if I didn't have something to worry about every week, then it just wouldn't be the same. I certainly wouldn't be used to a blowout victory and think something was up. So when beating the Bengals by seven points, I know the spread was ten and a half at the beginning or eleven and a half. Got as high as twelve and a half. Uh Raiders haven't blown anyone out in years. So even though it was a, a winless Bengals team, I just couldn't see a 14-point, 20-point trouncing. I knew it was going to be close. And that's how it's going to go when the team is, young team is learning to win, finding its way, finding their identity, and learning how to win in this league. And I have a preview up here with the Jets in the next couple of days. But for now, that's all I got. It's nice to be back, Raider Nation. I'm sorry for leaving for so long. I know you miss me. Um, But as always, keep it silver and black. There's only one nation, baby. I'll see you guys next time.